politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to live freely again. Life, liberty, and property. This is where it's at. Daniel Horowitz back in the house today. See our podcast. It is Monday. And folks, I am disheartened, but I am not completely out of it. I'm feeling a little bit of brain fog just simply from the emotional trauma of what's going on in this country. The more I do this for a living, or not for a living really, but the the more people find out about what I do, the more people come to me. So even though the virus has attenuated for the most part, if you get Omicron, but I'm just getting more people and it's just, it's so emotionally exhausting. Um, I'm, I'm privileged to, to know the greatest doctors in the country that actually have compassion and brains, a heart and a brain. But I'm telling you folks, the stuff that I'm seeing, and it's not any one procedure, any one drug used or not used. It's a totality of circumstances from early outpatient with every primary care up until the end of life. Where at every possible moment, they do the worst things, they do the cruelest things, they cover up the information, they keep family members in the dark, they punish them, they abuse the patient. And this has been going on for nearly two years, and there's no discussion over it. We talk about life, liberty, and property. The most important thing is life. For the last 50 years, we've been talking about life as if it's confined to the abortion issue. Now look, I'm pro, I'm anti-abortion like anyone else. It's something I wish we could stop. But I'm here to tell you this, and, and I'm speaking especially for the traditional conservatives, people who call themselves Republicans, both activists and elected officials. If you are not doing everything you can to investigate and rectify this mass genocide taking place with healthcare in America today, you are not pro-life. This is the ultimate pro-life issue. If I'm given a choice, now, you know, you don't always ha- have a choice. Often, you could walk and chew gum at the same time. You could focus on several issues at the same time. I'm fine with that. But if all they're going to care about is the latest anti-abortion bill, if I'm presented with a choice of trying to save their babies from them killing their own babies versus them aborting our adults, people in their 50s and 60s with many years left on their life, and they're being cut down by a virus they created, covered up the information so we don't even know, know all the details behind it. We would know how to treat it even better if they came clean on the research. Criminalize doctors who try to treat And the stuff they're doing is just unconscionable. Outpatient in the hospitals. If you're not dealing with that, and you are not following our blueprint of legislation that must be passed, you are not pro-life. Okay? The equivalent, if you want to draw the abortion analogy, the equivalent of what is going on today with COVID, and really it's expanding to all aspects of healthcare, by the way, is the equivalent of them mandating that we get an abortion. That's a much more serious issue than their freak leftists aborting their own people. 
And I understand the baby's innocent life doesn't deserve it, but I'm just saying, I'm going to be focused more on the latter. I'm sorry. That's where I am now. I'm sick of this one-trick pony where they can't reinvent the wheel to confront the challenges of our time. The pro-life issue of our time is the genocidal healthcare system we have, and that needs to be dealt with. Now, speaking of being pro-life, there's no one who's more pro-life than our latest partner, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, his Z-Stack. Um, this is his one uh, four-in-one combo that he concocted, zinc, quercetin, vitamin C, vitamin D, great for daily supplements, uh, four-in-one, um, which makes it more affordable and also you know, limits the amount of pills you uh, take. It's GMP certified. It's produced right here in the USA. Now more than ever, you have to take control of your health. You go to zstacklife.com slash Daniel. You enter promo code Daniel to get 5% off the first order. Again, at zstack.com slash Daniel, promo code Daniel. This is where it's at. You got to take control of your own health as best as you can. Um, you know, those four natural supplements are not, you know, the end all, but certainly um, if I get have time later to, today, I'll get to it. There's more uh, research on vitamin D and cancer. Um, very, very important to get your levels up no matter what um, and try to get a blood, blood test too to know where they are. Um, so I'm just, I'm just emotionally exhausted what I'm seeing. And I just want to say, you know, last week, I think we had some terrific guests. We had three doctors in particular that if you put them all together, I mean, Friday's show was, holy smokes, a full hour with uh, Dr. Flavio from Brazil. Amazing, amazing insights. Um, what a compassionate human being. What a, what a smart human being. And what I wanted to give over to you, and I hope the mes message penetrated, it's not about any one drug. And it's not even about a polydrug approach. It's not about the drugs. It's about having a brain and a heart and the independence and freedom to use the two. And what I mean is I'm dealing with a case of um, – and this, this weighs so, so heavily on me. A dear friend of the show, a longtime listener from day one, his husband's on a ventilator. And I'm not going to get into too many of the details, but two negative PCR tests from day one. The guy was in uh, stage four kidney failure already with his second kidney. The ultimate vulnerable person that we had two years to prepare. All they care about are the shots that absolutely do not stimulate immunity for those people, and they know it. And came to the nephrologist. And it was like, nah, you know, I don't, I don't see any problem here. There's no COVID. So they see COVID everywhere it doesn't exist. And when someone's actually symptomatic, who's the most vulnerable guy imaginable, nothing there. One of the important things you heard from Dr. Brian Tyson last week is he said, I like to see them in the flesh. I like to put a pulse ox on them to see what their levels are when they walk down the hall. I do blood work. I do a chest x-ray. I treat what I see. So therefore, if you have these stupid PCR tests that have so many false positives, but then when someone actually has it, it has false negatives, he'll treat them anyway. And, you know, this person was failed by that, and then it was, it was too late, but then even then, there were so many things that could have been done, but then he needed dialysis first because of the kidney issue and couldn't take a lot of drugs because it was contraindicated with everything. And they kick out the wife, 
the guy, and, and, and I'm hearing more stories about this, and send me if you have similar stories. I didn't want to believe it. But typically the thing with the ventilator is this. It's when even they go to, go to nasal cannula, then they go to things like BiPAP, the full mask, but it's not invasive, doesn't go down the trachea like, like a vent. And when it's on 100% and still they can't keep up, in other words, they're dropping to the 80s or 70s, that's when they feel the need to, to, to ventilate them. But if someone is stable on the high flow in the 90s, their O2 is in the 90s, you don't go and ventilate them. And I heard stories for many months about, it, about this, and I couldn't believe it because everyone knows you put someone on a vent, you know, it comes with serious risks, and it's really, I mean, we don't have data, and, and the government doesn't really publish it, but the odds aren't very good of coming off the vent. And obviously the idea is when you're on that high-flow oxygen that's holding you over, that's when you come in. You should come in with all the infusions, the vitamin C and glutathione infusions. Obviously high-dose ivermectin. High-dose methylpred. Inhaled budesonide. Phenofibrate. Metformin. Ciproheptadine. High-dose pepsid, famotidine. Again, not everyone is appropriate for every person in every stage, and every health condition, that's what that's what a sane doctor is for. I'm just I'm just trying to throw out there, give you a sense, hyper hyperbaric oxygen chambers where, where you don't have the forced oxygen down the lungs that comes with a degree of risk, and it's been shown to work so well. The ozone therapy. These are just, I'm just opening your mind to some of the basic things we have, even when you're caught at a at a rough cytokine storm. I'm not talking about early on when you you know obviously the nasal. Um, uh, spray and, and, and mouthwash, things that you can do earlier. And you would throw everything you can at this. Everything you would do would be oriented towards you directly diagnose what is the problem, here's what we need to do. You do it, you inform the family, you have the family come in. But I'm hearing more and more from day one, a guy comes in, with his oxygen level, you know, down, they, they, they put him on the high-flow oxygen. And, and, and some, I mean, they're just like, it's again, if you don't get anything in them that's appropriate that's going to work, they'll keep going down. But others, even if despite the hospital not doing anything, and sometimes even despite giving them the toxic remdesivir, you know, they're, they're stable. Now, you don't have an exit strategy yet. If you take off the mask, they're their oxygen level will crash, but if they're on it, they're they're stable. But from day one, they're talking about we need to ventilate them. I'm like, what? Why would you do that? Why? Senseless. And they kick out the family members, and then they say suddenly, oh, he crashed. So they they demand that they go on when they're good. Then they kick them out, and then suddenly they get bad. A lot of this is going on, and then. Here's the deal. You, you, you'll have a guy that's like three weeks into the thing, four weeks into the, this case, like it's like a month into it because it was it was very complicated. It was The whole thing was delayed and the symptoms were kind of staggered. So they come in and say, oh, he he's infectious. Four weeks later, they say he's infectious. So you can't come in. You can't come in. Four weeks later. Could you imagine that? He's infectious. 
They say, it's funny, in this case, they actually said it's too late to give remdesivir. The implication was if it would have been early, they would have given remdesivir to a, um, you know, someone with, with kidney failure. Literally with kidney failure. You can't get a greater contraindication with remdesivir than that. But then, it's too late. So they admit that the viral stage is over with. They will literally, I have this everywhere. We had a case last night here in Baltimore. I was up very late with it. Someone came to my door. She lives in the neighborhood. I gave her stuff to bring in. And they're like, it's too late for the monoclonals. This was an earlier case. This is, you know, first two days in the hospital. But then at the same time, you can't come in because they're infectious. So you can only send like a bag in and you have to hope they don't search it. They don't let anyone in. Do you understand that? They, they play both sides of the, of, the, of the stick. Each one to maximize the pain, maximize the chance of not surviving, maximize the agony to the families. What I am seeing is, you know, and, and, and these people tell me what's going on and I'm like, I'm still like, it can't be. Even though I've gotten in front of you for over a year and I've been saying they're doing it, I still, when it gets personal, I still can't believe it's happening. It just—it is so utterly cruel, illogical, and senseless what they're doing. And that's what I'm telling you. It's a totality of circumstance. It's not a matter of like, oh, these therapeutics, but not those therapeutics. It's part of it. It's something much greater than that. So I want to get into why this is the ultimate pro-life issue. Why even if tomorrow... um. Why even tomorrow, um, you know, this would go away. It's not going away. Because they're going to do this with every other thing at this point. Do you understand that at this point, every single aspect of medicine is tainted? I, I, I cannot overstate the gravity of the situation we're in the ultimate life, the cause of life, it's not just about abortion, that we literally have a medical system that is antithetical to the Hippocratic Oath. They're already doing this with other, other viruses. People tell me all the time, their doctors won't see them anymore. They won't do, do anything for them. Other, other ailments. It, it set up this entire culture of cruelty that, that, that's just so senseless. And before we get started, our sponsor today, Birch Gold, the same thing they're doing to our health, they're doing to our economy. They're crushing it in the worst possible way. Inflation's out of control, the worst we've seen, and possibly in our, really ever. There's a reason why they want inflation rates higher than the interest on treasury bonds. Guess what? Every day that passes, the government owes less on its mountain of debt. Protect your savings now. Hedge against inflation with gold from Birch Gold because the government is sabotaging the value of the U.S. dollar. It's a company I trust to convert your eligible IRA or 401k into an IRA-backed real gold. Um, you know, now's the time you start doing your taxes, and I'm going to do mine. And I refuse to send in a check to the government, so if I have extra left over, I'm going to always put it into um, an IRA. 
Now, you, if it's not a Roth IRA, you got to pay for it later on, but I don't care. I mean, I'm living in the here and now now. So anyway, they'll they'll convert that to gold for you. Text Daniel to the number 989898. No, you get a no-cost, no-obligation info kit. This comprehensive 20-page guide reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can buy them under the umbrella of a tax-sheltered account. So do it now. Text the word Daniel to 989898. That's Daniel 989898. All right. So what, what do I mean that there's something coming next? Something is coming next. We are lab rats. Okay? Don't think this will ever go away. They have, they have established the specter that they could create a therapeutic and a pathogen without getting caught. And the therapeutic, they're absolved of liability. They could use, even before you get to the mandate, use the boot of, of every aspect of censorship, media, government, billions of taxpayer funding to market it and pressure and then eventually mandate it. And no matter the safety problems, no matter the concerns, no matter whether it even works or eventually turns negative, they will foist it upon you. And there's nothing you can do. That has been, that, that's what's been established. So a lot of people think, well, Daniel, you know, come on, this is the end of the road. They can't, I mean, first of all, I don't know. Omicron, keep in mind, was not natural. Clearly was released somewhere. So who's to say there's nothing more released? There's evidence of, a, of, a, of an Omicron B2 version now in Denmark that also doesn't look like it naturally uh, came from Omicron's original lineage. It looks like it's its own kind of standalone. Who knows? But let's say for a minute that this is over with. What's the next step? Well, during a World Economic Forum panel discussion last week titled COVID-19, What's Next? Fauci was out at that. It was a Zoom, like, you know, forum. It was uh, online. So if you want to Google it, you know, World Economic, Economic Forum, COVID-19, what's next? Moderna's CEO, Stefan Benzel, he told us exactly what the next step is. Take a listen. And we're continuing to ramp up. We have a lot of capacity coming online in, in Q1 this quarter. We have a goal to be able to make two to three billion doses for this year. Uh, and the other piece we're working on is for 2023 is how do we make it possible from a societal standpoint that people want to be vaccinated. And we're trying to do this by preparing combinations. You know, we're working on the flu vaccine. We're working on the RSV vaccine. And our goal is to be able to have a single annual booster so that we don't have compliance issues where people don't want to get two to three shots a winter, but they get one dose where they get you know, a booster for corona and a booster for flu and RSV to make sure that people get their vaccines. So, Stefan, how close are we to that, actually? One single you know, shot for various protection against COVID-19, but also flu. So the RSV program is now in phase three. The flu program is in phase two and soon in phase three, I hope, as soon as the second quarter of this year. Did you hear that, folks? Did you hear that? It's a maniacal obsession. Not normal. More mRNA, more mRNA. So he promised that they're going to come up by next year with a triple combo, corona, flu, and RSV mRNA vaccine all in one. And notice he says he wants to make it from a societal standpoint that people like want it. He wants to deal with compliance issues. 
So we're going to make it all in one. Now, folks, I can't, it's literally like saying, I'm going to make hemlock for people. This is literally nothing short. This is aborting existing adults, children too, everyone. It's live abortion. That's what this is. You could not possibly come up with a worse mechanism of action, a worse combo, and a worse mix of candidates for a vaccine. We had Dr. Dan Stock on a while ago, and he explained to us the hierarchy of, you know, not all vaccines are created equal, and not all viruses lend itself to vaccine. Some do, some don't. And one of the worst, absolute worst things you can do is RSV. But all of them are respiratory pathogens. Again, no matter where you stand on vaccines, even if you think all the existing ones are amazing, it is a true statement that there is no safe and effective respiratory viral vaccine on the market today, even though they've been working for over half a century on, on, on these things. Meaning either they turned out to be unsafe and they, um, ab they aborted them, that, that was back when, you know, a clinical trial fails, so you don't foist it on the public. You don't say, hell, wow, it killed people. Let's, let's, go, let's make this go prime time. Or in the case of the flu vaccine, and let's just say for a moment it doesn't cause harm. It likely does. But at a minimum, everyone agrees, it, at best, it's spotty efficacy. Um, and as we've come to learn, when you have spotty efficacy, it's a double-edged sword. You know, I'm all for something that's 40%. Rather than 0%, if it's not 100. But the problem is, as we've learned, a leaky, non-sterilizing, ineffective vaccine usually creates mutations, makes the things worse. And indeed, as I've mentioned before, there actually is a uh, – um, where what's this called? There is a study, and I, I – oh, yeah, it's here. A Canadian study published in Eurosurveillance um, just actually right before the pandemic. It was, it was late 2019 – I think November 2019, they found negative 346% vaccine efficacy rate of the flu shot for those aged 35 to 54 during the 2018-2019 late season influenza. It was actually an H3N2 epidemic. This year, my understanding is that the predominant flu strain is H3N2, just like it was in 2018. Um, so that was four seasons ago. Okay, it's a Canadian study totally reports on negative efficacy for the flu shot. Again, this is not by accident. You couldn't possibly come up with the worst type of combos. RSV, for those of you who are unaware of it. By the way, he said the RSV program is in phase three. It's already in phase three. This is happening. In 1967... Um, they, uh, they, they put out an RSV, uh, clinical trial. The children were given the vaccine. And what happened was 80% of those in the trial had to be hospitalized. Now, I don't think they were hospitalized to my knowledge from vaccine injury. Like, you know, what you think Bell's palsy or something like that. It was from RSV. It made the pathogen worse. Okay. 
This this is from uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. They have a page on ADE, antibody-dependent disease enhancement. And they talk about the risks of it, and they talk about the examples of it in history, um, RSV, the RSV vaccine. In clinical trials, children who were given the vaccine were more likely, more likely to develop or die from pneumonia after infection with RSV. As a result of this finding, the vaccine trial stopped, and the vaccine was never submitted for approval or released to the public. That was back before we had genocidal maniacs. Now we do. Now we do. Are you confident after everything you saw that if they start seeing ADE from the RSV vaccine that they're going to abort it? Yeah, right. It's par for the course. They're going to accelerate it. Again, as Dr. Dan said and explained these viruses don't lend themselves. They don't, if I have time today, I'll try to explain. I have, a, he sent me a whole printout. He wrote a whole thing for me um, to explain to you guys to give over, to try to give it over as clearly as possible. Um, respiratory viruses, and it's particularly RSV. When you hear, oh, we're working on an RSV vaccine, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing. That's the worst thing you can do. Remember, we look at, we often divide it between efficacy and Injury, right? Safety and efficacy. But efficacy gets into safety because unlike other things in life, in life where half efficacy is good, here if you have problems with efficacy, you're likely to at some point run into ADE where it goes negative. It makes you more vulnerable because the, um, the antibodies become Trojan horses. More recently, this happened in 2016 with the dengue fever Another respiratory virus, dengue fever vaccine. This is in like the tropical countries. They vaccinated uh, a bunch of people in Philippi, uh, children in the Philippines. They were injected. And again, they found 14 children died. Many got very sick. And it was all children without prior infection. So they didn't have natural immunity. The ones that had natural immunity were, were okay. But the ones that didn't have it, then they, then they got the vaccine. Then they got dengue fever because it didn't work. Doesn't that sound awfully familiar? They got it qualitatively worse. So ironically, actually, if you go to the CDC's website to this very day, um, they'll say uh, it's 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 really funny. <laughs> they'll they'll say it's only the dengue uh, vaccine is only available if you. If you already had the virus, <laughs> well, if you already had the virus, why is it on the market? You know, what, what, I mean, what's the need? Because if you didn't have the virus, it's very dangerous. Oh, you mean to tell me a vaccine? You, you, you don't just sl slap the moniker vaccine on something and it's, 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 it's as pure as the wind-driven snow? Really? Wow, that's unbelievable. Knock me over with a feather. That, that it's just like, there could be a problem? Yeah. Yes, there could be a problem. And in fact, listen to Fauci here. I've played this before, but you need to hear this. This was in March 2020. Um, at the time, Fauci uh, Zuckerberg of Facebook was doing like a live streaming interview with him. And Zuckerberg was basically peppering him. Like, why the hell do you, you know, why does it take this long? You know, let's just get a vaccine. So Fauci actually explained the problem. Take a listen right here. 20 years ago and... It was for any vaccine that we wanted to make. You would say a vaccine from the time you start to the time it's approved 
to be safe and effective is several years, five, six, seven years. That's unacceptable for now. So what happened is that as soon as we got the sequence of the virus from the Chinese, we pulled it out of the public database and stuck the gene into a vaccine platform and worked on it literally within a day of when it came out. 65 days later, namely two days ago, we gave the first injection to a normal volunteer for a phase one trial to see if it's safe. That's the fastest that's ever been done. That's the good news. The challenging news is that even at that rocket speed, it's going to take a few months to show that the initial safety is okay. Then you go into a phase two trial, which instead of involving 45 people, which we have in the phase one trial, it involves hundreds if not thousands of people. That will take another six to eight months to even know if it works. So at the fastest we can go, it's going to take a year to a year and a half to know if we have a vaccine that we can use. There's another element to safety, and that is if you vaccinate someone and they make an antibody response and then they get exposed and infected, does the response that you induce actually enhance the infection and make it worse? And the only way you'll know that is if you do an extended study, not in a normal volunteer who has no risk of infection, but in people who are out there in a risk situation. This would not be the first time, if it happened, that a vaccine that looked good in initial safety actually made people worse. There was the history of the respiratory syncytial virus vaccine in children, which paradoxically made the children worse. One of the HIV vaccines that we tested several years ago actually made individuals more likely so notice he said literally what wound up happening. Notice he said, notice he said he didn't say it would take eight months. He said it would take a year to a year and a half to know. It's, it, that was actually literally a prophecy. They released it after eight months, but it took about a year and a half for us to realize that it went negative. Right? The middle of 2021 is where, where we started seeing that. This quasi-ADE. This is not a new concept that I'm introducing to you. This is all a fact. And we know respiratory viruses had this problem. We know RSV had this problem. We know the flu seems to have that problem. We know dengue fever had that problem. We know Nipah, Zika, we never, and they're working on Nipah and Zika. Uh, the Moderna dude said they're working on 20 other vaccines. We know this. And then we have the corona vaccine. Doesn't stop transmission from day one. Gradually wanes, and as it wanes, it goes negative. Never, ever, ever forget this. Bookmark this. There's a document from the FDA. It was from like December. It was right when it was approved. December 2020, the vaccine. Emergency, Google, FDA, emergency use authorization for an unapproved product review memorandum. So this is the memorandum document. On page 52 of that document, it states the following. So they say, we don't see short-term ADE, which is, which is, um, a non sequitur because usually you're not going to see it. Maybe the RSV vaccine, it did happen right away. Usually it, it, it's over time. Um, it, it, when it wanes, you don't see it right away. But li listen to how chilling this is now that we know what we know. But risk of vaccine-enhanced disease over time 
potentially associated with waning immunity, with waning immunity, remains unknown and needs to be evaluated further in ongoing clinical trials and observational studies that could be conducted following authorization or licensure. And they've never studied that, even though we know it waned. Hence, they're saying a booster. Fauci said over the weekend on one of the shows, we're probably going to need another, as we know, another booster. Because, by the way, I said this on uh, Friday, if you, if, you, if you remember, every Thursday, UK uh, Health Security Agency publishes data um, breaking down by vaccinated cohort the, case, the age-stratified case rates. And it's been negative for a while. The boosters put the seniors into slightly positive territory for a very short period of time. Okay, very short period of time. And um, basically what happened after a month or so, it went back negative. So the triple vaxxed are negative in all age groups over 30. Versus the unvaxxed, meaning what that means is that they have a higher case rate per capita, per age stratified, you know, per 100,000 people than the unvaxxed. But here's the interesting thing. Every week we waited for those charts where you would see the comparison of the, the four different vaccination levels. The double vaxxed are gone. Without a notice, without a memo, they took it out of the study for the first time in months out of the weekly report. Our theory, based on what we saw from the preceding few weeks, is that the double-vaxxed are so negative now that it's so appalling, they don't want to show it. It's like a heroin addiction. So they're going it, it, to – it's the ultimate game of pandemic Ponzi scheme. You have to shift to the next, the next thing. Quickly, quickly shift it to the next thing. Be, cover up the the ADE by by priming the pump, priming the pump, priming the pump. The problem is that the virus changed so much it doesn't even prime it, really. Maybe for a month, you know, there's a little bit of the antibodies. But then here's the problem: if number two goes so negative and you keep priming it, isn't that going to magnify and multiply the ADE? Right? I mean, it's, that's basic logic. This is not funny. And we're not even having a discussion on the pure safety of the vaccine injuries. We're talking about the, 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 the safety of the efficacy. If it's not a perfect vaccine, you heard Fauci in his own words. I couldn't have said it better myself. A vaccine has to be perfect. It's a double-edged sword. It's not something you can have some efficacy. If you have some, you're likely going to be negative. You're likely going to have antibody disease-dependent enhancement. Truly unbelievable. He is the man who said this. How do we move on? How do I talk about abortion, taxes, guns? This is happening, folks. They're going to force these other vaccines on us. They're going to continue blocking treatment for this and other things. Every state legislature needs to be working on how to rebuild healthcare, how to reward and encourage patriot doctors who have a heart and a brain rather than throwing them to the wolves. But instead, they're throwing them to the wolves. Do you know in Iowa? I, I got note from, uh, from, from a friend, and I'm working on this now. I sent it to Steve Dace. Two prominent doctors, one of them is Lee Merritt. She was one of the first COVID doctors we had on the show. They got threatening letters 
threatening to suspend their license and bring up criminal charges from the Iowa, um, the investigative part of the Iowa Medical Board. I have a copy of the letter. It, it, it's, a, it's a lunatic letter. It's unbelievable. Show us what you prescribed and we heard, you know, you were telling pharmacies to do something. They literally flipped it upside down. It's like the pharmacies are the doctor and they work for the pharmacy. It's unbelievable. Literally illegal. Implicit in the letter is that pharmacies not only have the right but the obligation to practice medicine and the doctors can't practice medicine. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I know in Oregon and California, there's not much we can do, but Iowa, are you kidding me? So I sent it to a bunch of people there, and that better be taken care of. But how does that happen in Iowa? How do we go a day without true pro-life legislation to deal with this? And by the way, just um, as a public service here, I want I want to, and, and this is not an exhaustive list if you have more, send, send it to me. But bills that I'm seeing that are being considered that will you know, help the prescriptions off-label and protect them from medical boards and, and get pharmacies to fill. Uh, Kansas SB 211, it's Senator Steffen. Virginia HB 102. Um, in New Hampshire, it's HB 1466 and HB 1022. One of them makes ivermectin over the counter. One of them um, is more just, you know, it's it's considered within scope of practice to prescribe. And HB 1372 in Indiana, that's my buddy Kurt nicely in the house there. Um, so those are the ones to work on. Make sure in your state immediately that there is a bill doing this. Identify where it is and, and coalesce a group to to really start pushing for it. But this is where we are on day 679 of 15 days to flatten the curve, to flatten humanity. It, it, it's just heartbreaking. It, it, it's killing me. And look, th- this tests all our respective faiths, faiths, faiths in, in, in God. You know, ultimately, when God has your number, he has your number. But it's just like when you see the genocide straight up, that medically, scientifically, almost none of these people had to die. And, and and two years into this, two years into this, okay, the amount of things that we could have discovered based on the robust research we already have, if it would have gotten a little bit of tailwinds rather than massive storms of headwinds, imagine what we could have produced, what we could have done, what we could have accomplished. You know, I was a little bit out of it today because I just spent a lot of time watching Senator Ron Johnson held a forum because he's in the minority now. So, you know, he can't control the committee hearings. So he just gets a room, you know, gets it streaming on Rumble, One America's News Network, um, and people could tune in. And he had all the Patriot doctors discuss vaccine injury, early treatment, um, all the facets of this. And, you know... Kudos to him. He's the only one doing this. But look, he's the minority now. But Republicans have been in the majority in half the states. They were in the majority in the Senate when this thing started. I called on them to do this in March 2020. I said, wait a minute. You're making life-altering decisions based on premises that aren't proven, that make no sense. Is this what we indeed have to do? It's like, yeah, we're going to chop your head off. I mean, well, before you do that, I mean, is this really the end? Like, there's no other choice. We have to spend trillions of dollars to fund a lockdown 
and like really this is how we deal with it um and then embark on a vaccination campaign there, there's no better way of dealing with this but to this day even two years later you can barely find state legislatures holding similar type of hearings giving this information to the public again this is the ultimate ultimate pro-life issue remember i want you guys to remember we're approaching 6 million COVID deaths in the world. We're approaching, I mean, it's probably a lot more because a lot of countries don't report. Um, in America alone, it's over 850,000. And, and again, even if, if you know, let's say one, even 200,000 of those are kind of inflated, um, they're incidentals or whatever. But I mean, it, it, so what? It's at least 650,000. Several million more. I'm forgetting, I think 5 million have been hospitalized. A good number of those were messed up. They're messed up for life. You have the long COVID syndrome because they refuse to treat that. Again, it's all about the spike protein. The vax injuries, you know, the best estimates are several hundred thousand have died from the vax. But as, as I read to you on Friday, this is the tip of the iceberg. We have every autoimmune disease popping up under the sun, including even hemophilia. So the long-term implications of these shots are going to crush whatever short-term problems we had from them. And they're blocking any research to even identify or diagnose, much less treat it. That's a Holocaust. That is the ultimate pro-life issue. There's a new study by German professor Kubander or Kubandner that shows a massive correlation between vaccination and excess mortality for each German state, something I might write about later this week. It's a, it's a study published in German, but it needs attention. And then, on top of it, you now have everyone being denied care for other things if they didn't get the shots. And nothing matters. You think, come on, Daniel, I mean, even the CDC had a study last week. They finally admitted... You know, natural immunity worked better during Delta than um, than the vaccine. They have to admit at least if you had the that, uh, you know the the virus already, right? Or you know at least children. Are like, no, nothing. The worse it gets, the more it shows it's causing problems. And again, when I say the worse it gets, you can't look at a snapshot of time. You have to look in totality. In totality, it made the virus worse. In totality, it caused negative efficacy. There's a letter, Ivory Hecker, a reporter from Houston, she dug this up. Texas Children's Pediatrics doctors are now refusing to treat patients who are not fully vaccinated. This is, this is growing legs. It's getting, the more the shots are discredited, or at a very minimum, just outdated, you know, expired, doesn't work anymore, the more vicious they're getting because it's not about COVID. If we're about COVID, you would obsessively treated you would obsessively treat covid but they're obsessively blocking treatment for it but now i mean there's this and i'm dealing with um i i think i think uh, i'm pretty sure brian festa one of our attorneys is going to take the case of shamgar connors from uh, virginia where they're denying him a kidney transplant even though he um you know, he actually had the, the virus already. And that's that's the thing, folks. You know, there are a lot of vulnerable people in this country. 
There's a lot of people with organ transplants with with you know various stages of kidney failure. Okay. And there's a lot of people with diabetes. There's a lot of people that are overweight. And we had two years to throw everything we can at this thing. And instead, they threw everything they could at the people trying to throw everything they could at the virus and put it all into a shot that has failed people. It's, it's just my heart breaks for these people and... You know, for a while, we were having a good record. The people coming, we got them treatment. It's just the last two weeks. You know, we, we've had crushing cases. Obviously, if you haven't heard, Scott Quiner, the individual from Minnesota that we had a lot of media on where he was evacuated from Mercy Hospital in Buffalo, Minnesota, brought to a hospital in Texas. He passed away. Um, I didn't want to say this publicly because, you know, you don't want to kind of pre- uh, <laughs> not preempt, but uh, prematurely discuss death of someone. But, we, uh, you know, I knew medically there was no way of saving the guy. It was too late. The point is they wanted to pull the plug, and, we we're you know, it was very nice of this hospital willing to, to try, and they tried everything they could. But the lesson when you see all the innovative things they did, and I'm aware of what they, that what they have done, it gave me such a heartache because I was like, oh my gosh, Like I, I, I understand now from the doctors that have taught me this, the mechanisms of action. If you would do that with the onset of the cytokine storm or even even late, even, even already on the ventilator, but immediately rather than two and a half months after all the damage was done, both from the virus, uh, you know, full fibrosis in the lungs and the ventilator, um, it, it just tells me that, you know, forget about even early treatment. If you would be doing this at the middle level, you'd save most people. It it, it it is, I can't get beyond this. Most people on the right, so-called Republican politics, the last number of years, they would have told you being pro-life is the most important issue. Well, this is the most important manifestation of, of the death, the pro-death agenda. That we ever could have imagined. And if you are not on board fighting this. You are not pro-life. Okay. That, 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 that's, that's just a simple reality. This is a pro-life issue. And I want you guys to never forget that. Honestly. If I had a legislature. If I were in a legislature. Um, that was bringing up. You know. Abortion bills now. But refusing to combat COVID fascism. I'd vote against the pro-life bill just, just to make a statement. Don't, don't, don't distract us on what's not the issue. Okay? That's not the issue now. What does a true pro-life legislation look like? It looks like the following. Doctors must not be penalized with medical licensure threats because they share documented medical information on their own professional experience and observations concerning this or other viruses. Those who speak up against public officials, if done in the public interest, may not suffer undue retaliation in the form of loss of border certification, licensure, or loss of privileges. Doctors must also not be penalized for prescribing any off-label drug that is clinically indicated to treat patients so long as they, unlike the vaccine cult, actually provide their patients with informed consent. 
All medical licensing boards should be subject to removal by the legislature so they can't you know, just do whatever they want. All pharmacists must fill FDA-approved prescriptions for medications for off-label use so long as they are prescribed by a licensed practitioner. Failure, failure to prescribe or to fill the prescription should result in a 100000 fine or revocation of license. All insurance companies operating in the state must cover any prescription written to treat viruses and cannot discriminate. If they can pay 3000 for the failed and dangerous remdesivir, they can certainly pay for cheap, proven, safe, repurposed drugs. Every state should set up a treatment page that encourages rather than discouraging doctors to treat. All hospitalized patients must be all allowed always to have one surrogate present in the hospital. This is a huge problem now. All hospitalized patients must be allowed to access FDA-approved drugs off-label prescribed by a doctor at their own expense. If they agree to assume a liability, they must also have the right to refuse any hospital-prescribed treatment. A cause of action must be granted to patients to sue hospitals who violate the right to try laws. All hospitals must be barred from medical kidnapping, which is taking place where they prevent someone from being released or transferred. No patient can be denied an organ transplant or other treatments and procedures on account of injection status. You know, you have here this movement now for a parent bill of rights. You know, kind of with the, uh, uh, an outgrowth of the whole critical race theory fight. And I'm all for that. But even that's not the biggest issue. A patient bill of rights is, the, is a more imminent issue than a parent bill of rights. I know that's become like cool now, and I'm all for it. And again, you could walk and chew gum at the same time. But it's just bizarre that the most imminent consequential issue of our lifetime is completely ignored by 95% of Republican elected officials. I just don't get it. I don't get it. Let's go on to what this pro-life legislation would look like. A complete ban on the ability of any private or public sector official to force an individual to wear a mask or get a shot. Okay? Very simple. And that includes private. The slate is not clean when it comes to human rights violations of the private sector. We, we regulate them with ADA, OSHA, anti-discrimination law. We're going to apply it evenly. We need a constitutional amendment in every state's constitution to be put on the midterm ballots to codify bodily integrity rights and anti-discrimination into state constitutions. We need to prescribe prison time for any local official who forcibly masks children. I've seen some videos recently of teachers forcibly like taping masks to a, uh, a kid's mouth. That has to be um, uh, prosecuted under criminal uh, child neglect statutes, you know, depending on the state and, and where it is in their in their code. It needs to be made clear that that is a part of it and, and not just civil but criminal charges. There must be a ban on all discrimination by insurance companies in terms of coverage for those without the shot, a ban on all discrimination for goods and services in the realm of public accommodation, and a ban on all discrimination or punitive actions taken against any healthcare provider or patient for opting not to get the shots. And obviously we need a cause of action to sue in court for citizens, citizens to take legal action against those who violate the ban and for anyone injured as a result of getting the shot 
due to intimidation in the workplace. We need a provision to make it clear that nobody's vaccination status should be recorded without the affirmative consent of the patient. We need a provision requiring schools to accept religious exemptions for all other vaccine mandates as well, not just the COVID shots. The more we discover, I'm not going to say they're nearly as problematic as this one, but from what I can see, they ain't as pure as they make them out to be. And we need informed consent and certainly cannot be forced upon people. Because again, if they work, they work. Then it's the kid who doesn't get it. That, that's his problem. We need a ban on contact tracing or the forced quarantine of any individual who has not been infected with an actual disease that has not already proliferated through the large portion of the population. So it's not quarantinable. We need a categorical ban on the authority of any state or county official, including the governor, to issue a stay-at-home order or to shut down businesses carte blanche under the guise of public health. That's what a pro-life bill would look like. Okay? That's what a pro-life bill would look like. We got to reinvent the wheel here. We can't go on like this. The amount of tragedy I have seen is devastating. Just just utterly devastating. There's a lot more I wanted to get to, as always, where, you know, <laughs> the time just gets chewed up. I want to just put out a couple of announcements here. A lot, I'm getting tons of emails, people with, uh, again, long COVID, um, vaccine injury, I want to refer you to two websites that I know of, and I've had doctors from both outlets on the um, show. One is Dr. Saeed Haider. So it's drsaeedhaider.com. That's D-R-S-Y-E-D, Haider, H-A-I-D-E-R.com. He treats people. Um, you could register on his website. And there's covidlonghaulers.com. That's Bruce Patterson's group. Um, we didn't have Bruce on, but we had Dr. Yam uh, Ram Yogendra, uh, um, NYU anesthesiologist. We had him on the show um, two weeks ago. Um, they're going to be coming out with more research this week that's going to be earth-shattering, showing massive spike protein, um, syndromatic uh, long-term disease from the vaccine, uh, mutated S1, S2 in people's monocytes months after getting the shots. You need to call every medical board in your state. Get on their case, especially if it's a red state. Call, mail, find out, Google where they are, who they are. Get in their face. These people need to be named and shamed. Call your attorneys general and say, look, we have the attorneys general of Nebraska and Louisiana went after the pharmacies and said you're you're violating the law by blocking treatment. Um. Why are you not doing it in your state? Vitally important. One other thing I want to give a shout out to. We have a listener, Aaron from uh, New York City. I, th- I mean, I have like the kindest audience. The, 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 the information people send, the favors people have done. This is truly a collaborative movement. I can't do this alone. And I've gotten so much help from, from you guys. Uh, Aaron, all of a sudden, he sends me this blog post he made on his Substack. It's ashmedai.substack, 
right? A-S-H-M-E-D-A-I Substack. It should come up. And he, he has a post that curated all of my articles by topic the last two years, I think. Something no one has done for me. It's very hard to kind of sift through. He sifted through all of them, several hundred of them. There's over 100 on COVID, and he kind of breaks it up by topic. So if you ever want to you know, look at that, um, certainly very helpful. And, and by the way, he has some good information in his own right on his Substack. He has a really good piece on uh, reproductive health concerns of the shots that really goes through the totality of the evidence. Um, so very, very smart guy as well. So thank you, Aaron, for that. Um, and, and most of all, we got to pray. We got to pray for, for so many people. It's just, it's weighing me down. There's, there's so many people that are having their lives cut short in their fifties and sixties, sometimes even earlier, um, from something that, that would have been eminently treatable if we would have had every doctor doing what Brian Tyson did. You come in person, we treat you like anyone else. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Here's the, here's what's going to happen. Here's what we're going to throw at you. Again, you know, God, you know, I, I don't want to, I want to be very clear here. I'm not like the vaccine idolatry where I'm going to tell you we had something that was going to save every last human being. You know, sometimes God, the angel of death has, has your number and you know, you're, you're going to, it's going to get by the treatment or it's going to be too late or whatever. Um, you know, the fact that you're going to have some amount of pandemic deaths, that ship sailed when Fauci signed off on the gain of function research Okay, that's that's not our fault. Um, so you know we were going to suffer from this, but the the overwhelming majority of them could have been avoided. And and really, the more time went on, you know, I, I was telling this to someone last night. Well over a year ago, we had the research on phenofibrate working so well for for the the pulmonary inflammation, cleaning out the alveoli, um, preventing fibrosis, and we've known about this. Only positive news, no desire to follow up on it. That's just one example. Um, again, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep pushing this. The nasal irrigation with betadine, the one percent solution. Look up on the FLCCC eye mask protocol. There are instructions for how to do that. It really is. I mean, there's 12 research uh, papers on this now showing really better. <laughs> outcomes than any drug it's unbelievable it cuts down on the viral load tremendously and it works for colds and other winter stuff you're getting i i really feel it's worked for me for um you know we've had like three four rounds of different things passed through our four kids in our house uh since the winter started um and i've gotten the least sick of everyone and i really credit that uh because my wife's vitamin d is, is as high as mine now but but she wasn't doing this as much and now i i got her to do it um, I, I'm just, look, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not, you hear in my voice, I'm, I'm kind of broken. Um, just, just too many, too many people, you know, I, I promised I'd leave no man behind. And I, I try, I try anyone who comes to me in a feasible state where the person is salvageable, they're not in the hospital. Once they get in the hospital, it's so, so difficult. It's so difficult because, Everything they're doing makes it worse. Then they often prevent you even from visiting, so you can't even sneak stuff in. It, it's just so, so taxing. Um, I'll end off with John Adams, pre-revolution. Pre this was a while before. 
And it really wasn't an easy thing to fight the British. A lot of people didn't want to remember it wasn't... <laughs> you, you think about the Revolutionary War, what they were fighting was child's play. Some dumb taxes, like who gives a darn? But I'll tell you why they gave a darn. Because they knew that that's when you have to nip it in the bud. Because it would eventually turn into a much greater tyranny... And then, by then, it's too late. Let us contemplate our forefathers and posterity and resolve to maintain the rights bequeathed to us from the former for the sake of the latter. The necessity of the times more than ever calls for our utmost circumspection, deliberation, fortitude, and perseverance. Let us remember that if we suffer tamely a lawless attack upon our liberty, we encourage it and involve others in our doom. It is a very serious consideration that millions yet unborn may be miserable sharers of the event. So in addition to fighting COVID fascism being the ultimate pro-life issue for the people that are living, as we talk a lot about abortion and the unborn, this is really the ultimate pro-life issue for the unborn. Because if we don't succeed in this fight, guess what the babies are going to be born into? There's going to be a mask on their face. From the minute they're born, they'll probably you know how they take them out of the womb and put them in that little tray. The first thing they'll do to christen them will be to probably put a mask on their face. Right now, it's two years old. It will be zero soon. Tomorrow, we're going we're gonna to get into some of the mask stuff. The mask is getting more satanic. We thought we were done with that. It's like whack-a-mole. We thought we could only focus on the vax and the treatment, and then now we got to go back to that, acquiring N95s on children, on workplaces. It's a tall order. Again, I need your help. If you have quality research, email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com or danielharwitz at startmail.com if you want an encrypted email. Till tomorrow, may God save us. May God give us the strength to keep fighting. Same time, same place. We'll be back here. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.